Hello, and welcome to Pragmatic Live's podcast series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management and marketing professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Pragmatic Marketing, and your host. Today, we're joined by our very own Stacy Weber, longtime Pragmatic Marketing instructor and practitioner. Hello, Stacy, and thanks for joining us today. Hi there, Rebecca. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I'm thrilled to have you. All right. So one of the things, Stacy, that we really uh, talk about in our training is the importance of market data, right? The importance of getting out, understanding the markets, the people in them, and the problems they face. And I, I think everybody leaves the courses super excited and enthused about the power of the market. But today I really want to dive in a little bit deeper and how are they going to take that enthusiasm and, and actually use those market data to make real impact on the culture of their companies. And so I know you have lots of great ideas in this area, so I'm excited to share them with everybody. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, I just remember that feeling of um, coming out of class and being excited about it. And what I didn't realize as I was coming out of class was how, was how quickly I could begin to change the culture around me immediately right i mean there's this feeling there, there's somewhat of a feeling that you have to go out and start really proactively gathering market facts but for me it, it didn't take that long um you know when you, when you think about getting back into the office and you go into your first meeting and you know whatever kind of contentious situation you can imagine i think for me that the the first situation i encountered was with customer support um and uh, the conversation that we had in that meeting was like, okay, we're, we have this terrible error we have to release right now. Everyone is calling in. And I, and I, I channeled my pragmatic marketing instructor and said, uh, yeah, and said, you know, um, um, how many calls have we actually received about this error? And they, they told me, and I said, quickly calculated in my head. Okay. So, so we've received calls from less than 1% of the client base and everyone in the room sort of swiveled their head and looked at me and their jaw kind of dropped open and they went, oh, well, that that seems like a different situation. Mm. Like, okay, so it's less than 1%, right? Put it in perspective with whatever you have available to you, you know, and then and then start digging for the facts of the situation, right? Just the facts of the situation itself can help you begin to have that conversation. You know, with customer support, it is what percentage of the client base has already called about it and what is the nature of the problem? Like, what's what percentage of the client base is likely to encounter this? How bad are the results? But bringing that conversation back to the level of market facts very quickly changes the whole rhythm of your team, or it potentially can. Uh, with us, you know, just that I'm thinking, just that that conversation with customer support ended up really sparking a whole change in the way that we handled hot fixes out to the market, we did them in a much more logical way because rather than having the sky is falling mentality, we started digging up the actual, whatever facts we had available to us. Well, and that's interesting because you do often think that I've got to get this whole army of, of market data. I've got to go out. I've got to know everything. And that's obviously, I you know, an ideal state. But you're right. In, in that situation, you just dug into the market facts of that specific occurrence. And even that allowed you to change the mindset and the conversation and to just um, sort of resize it and re-establish it's important based on that. And I think that's a powerful trick we can do in lots of situations. Even if you don't have all, stop, take a look at what you do have and how you can use that, that information from the market in front of you. 
Uh, right, right, exactly. Yeah, and you know, and, and it really, I don't think it really matters where you start to inject those facts into your conversation. Like the fact that I had this conversation, okay, the customer support situation is pretty reactive. Um, it's kind of a tactical exercise getting involved in when to release a hot fix. <laughs> but, the, you know, but the, but the subtle difference there is that I basically primed that room to start thinking in terms of facts. And, and you start, I mean, I think that the culture around you, sometimes companies have this tendency to believe that they, they have to act based on instinct, based on loudest person in the room, based on what the boss says. And a lot of the time they're doing that because they don't even realize that they have an option. So when you start pulling out the facts that you have available, you're, you're changing the conversation, but you're also changing the mindset in saying, we don't have to guess here. Mm. We can work we can work together to figure out what the facts of the situation are and then proceed to finding the best solution. Well, that's interesting, too, because you mentioned that you could work together to find the facts. And I think that can be a really powerful approach when you're first kind of implementing pragmatic marketing and you're and you're trying to use the importance of, of facts that if you can kind of bring them into finding the facts, then often people, you know, find that the facts they help to find more powerful. Maybe they give them more weight. But in that situation with customer support, you used their facts and kind of brought them into there. And I think that can be a great way to increase buy-in as well. Yes, exactly. Because it gives it empowers the entire team to say, we're going to make the best decision if we all understand the situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was just I was just thinking that it, it really I mean, it works that way with every department. The, the, the conversation is a little different, but. Just having just any situation that you're in, trying to think about what facts are available to us. Um, I, I remember having some where, you know, that there's there's certain areas in the company where they are incented to try and get you to believe that whatever they're telling you is truth, <laughs> right? Um, I happened to, the first time I came through training, I was in a bit of a sales-driven environment and um, having salespeople coming and saying, everybody who's buying wants this. Right. Anytime you hear everybody or no one, <laughs> you know, <we're> right. <laughs> it's a great indicator that you're not relying on the facts. And when you start, but when you start saying, who is everyone? Tell me, tell me more, tell me more. They, they realize that they, that together we can come up with that, that right solution. Yes. The tell all everyone says or, <laughs> or no one wants. That's a great hint too, to know that maybe we should peel back the onion a little bit. And then take a closer look. Yes, so exactly. What about executives, right? When we're talking about sort of introducing the approach of market facts to different audiences, talk a little bit about support and, and, and sales. And, and how else, how could we do this with executives? Uh, yeah, so, you know, I mean, there's, there's these different stages. I mean, with executives, I think you, you have to, um, you have to have a, some facts under your belt in order to have a credible conversation with them, you know, but doing a handful of market visits and gathering those market facts, even that little amount allows you to have some, to start injecting this in the conversation. Uh, you know, when anytime, anytime that you're told something, right? And a lot of the time the executives are used to driving the company based on their available data. And, um, and of course, there's, there can be problems with that, of course, in the kind of data that they're actually exposed to and what they have to pay attention to to keep the business running. And you, I remember having conversations with, with executives, too, where they were like, you know, well, based on what I know, you know, the entire market is going to move in this direction. But then when you really started asking, how do you know that? 
what gave you that idea? Where, where have you been? What have you heard? That sometimes they were exposed to audiences like, well, for instance, I had an executive who had been put, he was a, a very, uh, a very technical, he was a VP of engineering, but he, and he was a very technical, very, very brilliant engineering person, but he had been put on a tour on an analyst tour where he was getting these analyst briefings about what they thought were, were, was going to go on in the market. And, and so he came back in with this very confident opinion that he knew exactly where the market was going to go. Right. And he knew exactly the problems people were having and what they were doing. But when you really asked him, where did that come from? You know, and those conversations would sometimes go like, you know, I've, I've been out to three client visits in the last month, but I've never see, seen anything like that. What makes you think that? And, and when he started, we started having those conversations and revealed that he, he had a skewed perspective mm-hmm. because he had come off this analyst tour that, uh, you know, so he had a lot of the analyst opinions kind of lodged in his brain at that point. Interesting. Were you able to kind of show him why the market facts that you had from those client visits maybe weighed heavier or why those were more relevant? Was that an an easy discussion for you to explain the power of of what you'd heard? Yes. Yeah. That conversation could have gone in two very different directions. If I tried to go head to head and have an argument with this this, uh, executive, I would have lost without a doubt. He would have ended up, you know, if I had just tried to argue and say, no, I think you're wrong. Uh, another red flag there, I think, mm. you know, if I was sitting there saying, no, I think you're wrong. He was going to, to, he would have dug in and I would have ended up losing that. I was not in a position to be able to go head to head based on my opinion. But when I started telling him the facts I had and asking him where he had gotten his facts, then together we look at that and, and both of us realize, wow, that's really intriguing, very different, right? And then we started having conversations about, well, gee, are the analysts predicting what's coming, right? Let's take a look at those, pro- let's take a look at our market data and see if there's any correlation there. Um, for us in that particular situation, there uh, was not a lot of correlation. The analysts were a little bit off on that particular <laughs> opinion they were sharing. Maybe a little too forward looking or too left looking. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. Yeah. In, in our in our case, they had had a, the analysts had had a lot of input from a business and marketing type audience and had not uh, had much interaction at all with the technical types who would have had to approve and administer that solution. Mm. I don't want to bore you with the details, but they I mean, the, the analysts themselves had a bit of a myopic view, right. which had then been passed on to my VP. And I'll tell you, if nobody would have stopped and said, are those facts reflective of the actual market? We could have invested a bunch of money in something that would have never succeeded. And I think that highlights the importance of talking to um, the entire market, right? A lot of people will think of market-driven as the same as customer-driven or customer-focused and market-focused being uh, synonyms to each other. But I, I think that you can get then a really myopic view. And I think that's a great illustration of what happens when when you don't see all the parts that you can think you're, you're headed in the right direction, that you're doing this based on where things going and you really got to get enough information to make sure validate. Exactly. You know, when you, when you walk into a meeting and you're having a discussion about something and you realize that you have people, you know, there's contention at the table. Maybe you've got three, four five different opinions of what's going on. I think you first of all have to tell yourself that all of these people have created a valid opinion. Mm. Right. They're, they're smart people. They, that opinion came from somewhere. 
your job is to start really teasing out the facts. How did they come up with that? Because they do have a little tiny part of the picture. And, and when you start pulling that out, everybody gets the facts on the table and we go, wow, none of us had the right answer. Again, that's a great way of, of looking at it. Stacey, one of the things I always find great when I talk to you is you have a very collaborative way of thinking when you're dealing with other people, right? It, it is not, I'm right, they're wrong, black and white. There's a general, uh, a genuine interest in their thinking. And I, I think to your point right there, they have some piece of the facts. It's not like any one of us has all the facts and everyone else. And if you can acknowledge that they come from a, a, a good place and, and a place from their own point of view that's not, you know, they're not crazy, that you can then get valuable information from them and share other valuable information and really work together toward that. And I, I think that that is something that as a product managers and product marketing people, it's a great trait that people should work towards because it is such a collaborative field. And it's easy for, you know, I'm a person who enjoys a good, you know, discussion and, and peace. And it can be sometimes very emotional. And I think when you stop and you let every, the pieces come through, you can certainly learn a lot more. Yes, yeah, exactly. Well, and there's, I mean, it's that personal thing too, right? In that we're all, I mean, if you, if you found your way into a position of leadership somewhere on the product team, chances are that you have, you have driven some good things. You've probably done some things by gut feel mm. and somehow you, you proved that you were pretty smart. And then all of a sudden you have to realize that when you're in that position, now you have to somehow silence the, 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 the beast of your ego and, and even if you knew the right answer walking into that room, you can't give it, right? You have to let the facts speak because not everyone is going to agree with your opinion and not everybody understands that, you know, you made the right decision by gut instinct last year. All of a sudden you have to, before that room, for your credibility, you have to rely on the facts. Yeah, it's, it's a, it is a philosophy change mm -hmm. in, in saying that I, you, you truly, one person does not have the right answer. It takes a, it takes a pretty talented leader, though, to sit in that meeting, control your emotions, don't get caught up in the, in the, the debate until you've really drawn out the facts. Sometimes I would even say, you know what, I think I can find these facts in our, in our enhancement database. Why don't you give me a day to go do some research and then let's have this discussion. Well, and I think one of the other things about the, 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 the leadership piece there is, is sometimes I've done this myself, so I won't put this on anyone else where you think it's okay because I have the trump card. I have really good market facts here and I'm going to go in and I'm going to play them like the trump card. And, and, and I think that that again, makes it more um, argumentative than it needs to be. I have some market data. I will absolutely share my market data, but let's make sure that I'm getting their facts out as well. And I'm not just trying to show my smart, smartest person in the room card and then again, I, for me, it's, it's just a really nice image of how to approach those conversations where it's still based on facts, but it doesn't mean I have to have them all and it doesn't mean I have to play them, you know, aggressively. It's let's make sure you have them share mine and then we'll all look at it. We're all smart people in that room and we can figure out the right answer together. Right. Exactly. Now, one thing you just mentioned, though, was that sometimes you'd be having the discussion and you'd say, hey, wait, I can go get that data somewhere. And I want to dig a little bit here because I think often when people leave our training, uh, they're all, again, fired up to get some market facts. And in their mind, they think, all right, I've got to start this worldwide whirlwind tour uh, and go visit 100 customers and I'm going to have all this data. But I think um, maybe there's some hidden data inside their own companies that already exist. Maybe they have some market facts they just need to look at. And I 
I know you you've seen some of these, so I'd love your thoughts on you get out of training and you've got and you you know right away where can you find some of these market facts within your organization today? I think most companies have some sort of repository where they've kept some kind of enhancement requests. Uh, I talk to a lot of companies who have that mixed in with um, with bug data in a database somewhere, but usually you can filter and look at it. Um, and so, you, I mean, you do need to look around and find whatever sources you have. I think one very common one is that usually there's a list of stuff people have requested somewhere. And you start to go back and look at that and say, what do I really know about these? Have I affinity mapped them appropriately? When they're a feature request, do I understand the problem they're solving? And it allows you to get some data from what has already been gathered. Um, I also remember going around to the different departments and asking them what kind of trip reports or um, event reports they were they had created. And I discovered that I had lots of different data. They were just in small pockets, sometimes on somebody's hard drive, um, and sometimes just in a part of the intranet that I wouldn't have gone because it wasn't my area. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I had people who were going to trade shows. I had people who were going and running customer events and had sales engineers. And in my company, my sales engineers were pretty good at writing up reports and putting them into the sales system. You know, I mean, look around and say, what data do I already have available? Because you can pretty quickly start to see where there are trends. I mean, there's this subtle, there's a subtle underlying assumption in this approach that says whatever problems happen to be most pervasive in the market segment are also going to crop up most frequently when you when you really start thinking about problems. And that happens whether it's data that's already in your building or whether it's data that you go out and get through an interview or an observation. When I think today, especially for, for certain segments of our clients, there's there's so much data, whether it's about product usage or you know, even search terms that got people to your site or search terms within your sites or customer satisfaction surveys that aren't necessarily going to give you all of it, but all can start to see, again, it's another source of data that's already there that if you look at, you can just add to the overall pictures. Mm-hmm. And then you can get some really good uh, qualitative discussions in as well. There's no reason they can't start right away. Exactly. I mean, and this is the thing, too, is that a lot of us have a have a mathematical brain. And part of us would like to really have this be, a, you know, like a 99% positive. You know, we, we know we understand the market to this high degree of, of confidence before we do anything. But we live in a fast world and we're surrounded by reality which means you have to look at what what facts do you have available and let those facts help you make the best decision you can make. I mean there's you you really can get into trouble if you if you think that you have to do that full, you know, um, concentration worldwide tour, observe every single person before you really make a decision, you're you're going to really spend a lot more time doing the the research than you need to. Mm-hmm. I mean the trick is use what you have available get continually better at bringing in that data. But whether it's, you know, one day after class or five years after class, use the data you have available to you. Right. Right. (laughs) And again, to your point, start training the rest of your company to be looking for that data and looking at that data. Yeah, exactly. You know, and your, your methods of communication change as you do get those market visits under your belt. 
you know, once you get about a handful of, of market visits in, in one particular market segment, all of a sudden now you have some numbers. They're, they're not, they're not a high, I, I understand it's not a high quanti- um, uh, quantity of numbers, but you have numbers to start using, right? And then you can ha- you can start using those in conversations with people, but you have to also be careful about how you do that. Like, you know, for instance, if I've, if I've done five market visits and I've seen the same market problem three times, it's not fair for me to walk around and say 60% of the market has this problem, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> like, that's not fair. Um, particularly with your engineering types, they're going to smell that from a mile away. It is, however, fair to say, you know, I don't know the entire market, but I have done five visits in the last couple months and I've seen this problem crop up. In at least three of those visits, let's talk about that. I think that's really interesting too, because I, I agree with you. you. You can't, you can never have perfect data. And if you spend time trying to get everything, spend all that time trying to get all the data, you're not going to ever get anything done. But I have had in my career pushbacks when, you know, let's say I, I've talked to 10% of the market and what we had a fairly small market, obviously, uh, <laughs> and I had some help, right? But at some point, it, it didn't seem to matter because it was never um, enough, right? This was an engineering-led company, and so there was always a quantitative pushback. And I don't know if you have any tricks for that, where you're like, well, yes, I understand I haven't talked to everybody. But at some point, this is a valid trend that we're seeing, and, and how can I how can we show that? Right. Well, and I, you know, I think the difference is that, you know, you use those market facts to make decisions on a daily basis. But when you reach a point where you're actually going to make a sizable investment, don't make that sizable investment based on five market visits or, you know, 5% of your market or you, th- at that point, now I want to do some surveys mm. and get a little bit of a broader because that doing that, doing that, um, a broader survey type work is going to, it's going to get me the numbers, right? So I could potentially reach more people in the market. But at, but also, and perhaps even more importantly, it's going to tell me whether whether the people that I initially went to visit were skewed somehow. Hmm. You know, maybe I only did five market visits, saw the same problem in three of them. But maybe maybe I personally am more comfortable with a certain type of company hmm. or a certain geography, and all of a sudden that my five visits is skewed. That survey is going to tell me that very quickly. That's really interesting. Maybe there was a geography bias because that's where your trade shows were. Maybe, to your point, uh, certain members of your segment are more likely to um, agree to an interview, right? Maybe there's some segment right. that's more Could social. Be. Who knows? But that's, I think that's that's a really good point. Maybe, yeah. maybe I did. Maybe I did five market visits, but they were all in the same week, and they were after some major international event that changed the way people were thinking that week. Oh wow. Yeah, I mean, it could. There's a lot of things that could skew that initial sample, but the survey, the survey is the way to, to kind of balance that risk, especially with your engineering folks, right? I mean, by the time I I'm asking engineering to really get their skin in the game and to invest their energy and their and their genius in building something, <laughs> right? I better be able to go to them and, and you and really cite those percentages. You know, when you think about later on, like when you've gathered some of this data and you're actually trying to get people on board with your with your project concepts, now you've got to recognize that different people are going to look at those facts differently. Like you just mentioned that it was your engineering folks that always had the quantitative pushback. I would expect that. Right. 
when you're talking to engineering folks, I mean, early on, you have to tell them, I'm still studying this, but right now, you know, I've done 12 visits. I've seen it seven times. And they'll respect that as long as you have that stuff written up. But by the time you ask them to actually invest, you know, make a sizable investment in this, I need to be able to tell them. I have surveyed the market and, you know, 67% of the market is experiencing this problem. Now, on the back end, I can tell them all kinds of stories about it. But when they're an engineering brain, those those numbers are what help them wrap their, their brain around it and really get on board. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. I was giggling at the one time I had told in my head about the engineer that I had told about this problem. I was all excited that I'd seen a couple places and I was going to go study it more. And by the time I came back, he'd, he'd built something for it. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> maybe not the engineer to share with next time. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, you have to have this preface conversation going on. I don't expect you to build this. You have requirements you're working on already. <laughs> I may have accidentally <laughs> brought the sprint down, but, you know, <laughs> it was right. a fun problem to solve. <laughs> All right. We have talked about a bunch today, and I, um, I know our time is almost up, but is there anything else that you want to share or anything that you want to stress of all the stuff that we've talked about that if people could do differently starting tomorrow that you would want them to focus on? Uh, yeah, I think um, stay calm. Uh, ask good questions to get the facts out of other people and use whatever facts you have available to start changing that conversation. You know, we, we started out really thinking, you know, I think our goal coming into this was talking about changing your culture with market facts. And I don't think I've said the word culture one time. <laughs> and that's why, because changing your culture isn't actually about changing the culture. It's about changing the conversation. It's about changing the relationship with people. It's about, it's about changing the, the rhythms inside your company. And the way that you do that to become truly market driven is this injecting the facts into the conversation, bringing people in and getting them centered around our, our common understanding of those facts and, um, you know, and then proceeding to make the right decisions. And when you do that and you have the conversation differently over time, you'll, you'll look around and realize that you actually have changed your culture dramatically. Right? It's not something that you go into and say, Oh, I'm changing the culture today. Just change the conversation and the culture will change around you. Powerful, powerful sentiment, Stacey. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for the great tips. It was a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. All right. And thank you all for listening. Be sure to check back next week for our next edition of Pragmatic Live. Mm-hmm.